Welcome to the Out of the Ordinary Podcast. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. Some of my favorite ordinary things are homegrown flowers, strawberry jam, and old books with someone else's notes in them. And some of mine are hot tea, always with milk and sugar, a good movie, my mom's hand-me-down books, and Sunday afternoon naps. This is the podcast where we believe that the best stories grow out of ordinary life. Get comfy. Here we go. So many of you have told us you wish you could visit us here at Maplehurst. I have good news for you. Christy has the most amazing book coming out next year called Placemaker, and it really chronicles her journey to Maplehurst and what life here at Maplehurst looks like. And for those of you who pre-order the book that comes out in the spring, she has the most beautiful collection of gifts she wants to give you. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas, I am giving everyone who pre-orders a copy of Placemaker my illustrated guide to the four seasons at Maplehurst. This has been illustrated beautifully by Jen Tucker, and each season, spring, summer, fall, and winter, includes four prints, one with inspiration for the kitchen, one for the flower garden, one with tips for the vegetable garden, and one with all of my favorite books to read during that season. How do people get access, Christy? Easy. Just head to christypurifoy.com. All the instructions are there. December, Christy. Here we go. Here it comes. (laughs) Ready or not. (laughs) I feel like... I feel tired already. It's the first week of December. And for some reason, I always feel like these first weeks are the hardest because I have the list. I have the list, Christy, and it's not Santa's list. It's not a happy list. It is the list of all the things that have to happen between now and December 25th. And it starts to feel overwhelming. And I feel the panic rising and I can't breathe. And I, before we started this episode, said to Christy, dear former English literature professor, (laughs) give me a word, sister. Give me a word to help me through the season. And when she found this quote, I thought, we got this is where we have to start. I think we all need an exhale. Right. Everybody listening, <laughs> whether you're in your car or you're wrapping presents or you're on Amazon ordering presents or you're planning menus, whatever it is, here it comes, okay? Mm. It's going to be a collective exhale. Yeah. We're going to start with this beautiful word and then just let you know we understand what the season is you're walking into. This is from one of my favorite writers. Many of you know Kathleen Norris. Uh, She's a poet. She's written many beautiful reflections on faith and work and a woman's life. This comes from the Quotidian Mysteries and the subtitle of that book. It's so excellent. Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work. (laughs) So, (laughs) So Kathleen Norris writes, The often heard lament, I have so little time gives the lie to the delusion that the daily is of little significance. Everyone has exactly the same amount of time, the same 24 hours in which many a weary voice has uttered the gospel truth. And here she quotes from the King James, Matthew 6, 34, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. (laughs) But most of us, most of the time, take for granted what is closest to us and is most universal. The daily round of sunrise and sunset, for example, that marks the coming and passing of each day, is no longer a symbol of human hopes or of God's majesty, but a grind, something we must grit our teeth to endure. 
our busy schedules, and even urban architecture, which all too often deprives us of a sense of the sky, has diminished our capacity to marvel with the psalmist in the passage of time as an expression of God's love for us and for all creation. It was God who made the great lights, whose love endures forever, the sun to rule in the day, whose love endures forever, the moon and stars in the night, whose love endures forever. I love this because I feel too often the burden of time, the burden of time passing too quickly, (laughs) sometimes too slowly, but in this season, definitely too quickly. How much we have to try and accomplish in limited time. Mm -hmm. And reading this too, it reminded me, not so much of a story, maybe just a a moment, a memory came to mind of another December. This was a December many years ago. I was a wife, but I wasn't yet a mother. I was a graduate student. And December in that time of my life meant a lot of work because all of my classes for that Mm -hmm. first fall quarter were coming to an end. And I had um, all of my seminar papers were due. So the weeks before Christmas were spent rather frantically writing and working so that I could get these papers turned in so that uh, Jonathan and I could then celebrate Christmas and maybe, you know, go travel to be with family. So I remember, and maybe it was Kathleen Norris mentioning the urban architecture and how it makes it so you can't even see the sky and it sort of shuts you off from those markers of time that are also markers of God's love. I can remember sitting in our little city apartment and uh, it was this big curved apartment building with hundreds and hundreds of apartments in it. And, and the building itself was sort of curved in shapes that I couldn't see the sky. And I couldn't see as I was sitting there at my computer what was happening outside my window. And what was happening is the snow was falling and falling and falling. It was piling up so high. It turned out to be the snowiest December in Chicago in a decade, I think it was in many years, it was a record-breaking snowy December, but I couldn't see that. I could just see the computer (laughs) in front of me and trying to meet my deadlines. But of course, the sound of that snow, if you've ever, if you experience snow, and especially if you've experienced snow in the city, it does something. It quiets the whole world. It does. And so, I was working there and all of a sudden, I think it was the quiet that, that grabbed me and I realized... Some, what, what's happening? <laughs> Lisa Joe. so I turned from the computer and I looked out my window. I couldn't see the sky, but I could see now how much snow had fallen. And that's why suddenly it was so quiet and no one was out. There were no vehicles or no people. And I stood there at the window and then I saw something. I saw a dark car coming around the corner of our building winding very slowly through all of that snow. It was followed by another dark car, a limousine, a whole line of black vehicles. I thought, what is going on? And then I realized I was seeing a a funeral Mm. procession. Mm. And these were the only cars on the road. And I realized that they were winding their way past my apartment building to the uh, beautiful Rockefeller Chapel on campus there at the University of Chicago. And I remembered that I had heard that week about the death of a famous poet, Mm. Gwendolyn Brooks. I don't know if you know Gwendolyn Brooks, but she, a Chicago poet, well-known in Chicago, but all around the world as well for her poetry. And I remembered that she had died that week and a funeral was planned. And it hit me, 
this is for her. Mm. And there was something about me tapping away on the computer, writing about these books, trying to meet my deadlines, the quiet of all that snow. We're moving toward Christmas. I have my eyes on Christmas. If I can just make it to Christmas. And then before me on the road, I see this line of cars that somehow all that black against all that white just symbolized the life of that great poet mm. and what she had made and what, you know, all that she had created. And here was the ending, you know, as far as her life on earth. And I seemed to be the only witness to it. There was no one around in my memory. It's just me sort of leaning toward the window, watching this, this line of cars. And I think it was this collision of life, death, poetry, the season, the work I was doing that felt honestly meaningless in that moment. I just wanted it to be over. I just wanted to get to the real stuff. And the real Mm. stuff was family, parties, Christmas gifts, December 25th, all of that. It was not this tapping away at the computer. And Far from making me feel, as I watched that that funeral procession, you know, wind its way um, in these quiet, snowy streets, it didn't make me think, oh, uh, in, in accordance to like Ecclesiastes, oh, the futility, right, <laughs> this right. is how it ends. Instead, I just thought about that woman, her life of work, and how much it mattered, and how today, you know, all these people would be gathering to celebrate her. And I stepped away from the window and I sat down again at my computer, but it was with this sense of, it does matter. Mm. It's not just the parties. It's not just yes. the gift. It's not just the these high moments of celebration, but it's just this ordinary, the stuff, the work we do that matters. And I think that's what Kathleen Norris is, is reminding us of in, in this quotation from Quotidian Mysteries. And I, I guess I want to talk about that a little bit today because this is the season, maybe more than any other around the year where we feel this tug between our ordinary lives and the work that we do in our Mm -hmm. ordinary lives, whether we have jobs in offices or whether we stay home with children or whether we're caregivers for our parents, whatever our working life looks like, we can feel this tug between the work that we still have to do. Life does not stop because it's the middle of December and Christmas is approaching. But we have this celebrating we want to do. We have this season we want to keep. We have the cookies we want to bake and and the gifts we need to buy and the parties we want to attend. And we can feel, I think, in these days, this tug of war almost where we want to say, Lord, can I just set aside the work and do the real thing? (laughs) Can I I just get to it? (laughs) Can I get to the good part? Can I get to the good part? That's it. That's it. Can I get to the good part? And I guess I want to ask, is there anything good about work? I mean, there has to be, <laughs> right? I I think we go back to the garden where God instituted it, where God gave it as a gift when He invited Adam to name the creatures and to rule over them. I, I've always believed, and I people much smarter than me have written about how in that moment God was instituting the gift of work to Adam, and it was really post-fall that work became a burden and a curse when the ground became cursed. Mm. And God talked about how we would toil and there would be thorns and our labor would be so hard. But when we look at how it was supposed to be, work was given as a gift. It was given as a way to enter into the creative act of what God was doing. Mm. And so, it, 
the fact that we experience this tension, right? Because anybody who works knows some days are wonderful and they fly by and they, you're filled with creativity and the team is wonderful or your kids are cooperating or the, <laughs> you know, the homeschool curriculum you put together is just right or the children in your classroom are paying attention or mm. your boss recognizes the, you know, the extra work that you've done and you get a raise. There are all those high moments, but then there are also the moments of drudgery that just feel very, very difficult. And you work because you need to provide. You need to provide for your family and you have to figure out a way, much as Adam had to figure out how to get something good out of that difficult soil. Mm. We have to figure out what does it look like to to mine our lives in order to provide income for our families, whatever shape that looks like. And so whether you're a full-time working mom or you are home with the kids and managing that, whether your husband travels a lot and so the burden and responsibility of family is always on you while he's out of town during the season, we wanted to pause and recognize how there is this strange intersection here in December mm-hmm. with the work we have to continue. Mm-hmm. But then you layer on top of it all of these other seasons. So there's the expectation now that it's supposed to be wonderful and meaningful. And in our last episode, we talked about some of our traditions for this Christmas season that are wonderful and meaningful. But at the same time, creating them, especially when you're the parent and you're working and managing kids and deadlines or elderly parents, it becomes an additional stressor in your life. It's work too. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's hard. Isn't that ironic that keeping the season, celebrating, it brings its own work. Right? It's, I mean, its even own trying to work. figure out time for rest, time for vacation. I know working full-time in an office, how I would count out my days, right? My annual right. leave days. How many have I accrued? Do I have enough to go away? I mean, it was especially hard the years we were traveling home to South Africa because you can't just go for four days. And I remember I was always banking vacation days all throughout the year, desperately hoping I would mm. have enough to be able to be gone for two weeks at Christmas. And I was always in vacation day deficit, it felt like. you know, I never understood people would be like, I have all these days I haven't used. I always wish they could give them to me so that I could be gone too. And it is a very hard place to be where you are balancing wanting to enter into a season of rest, but it takes a lot of work to get you there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think if we are able, if we have a new or fresh perspective on work, it could help us out in a couple of scenarios. It could help us out uh, for instance, I have a, a friend who every year when I invite her over for the holidays, like uh, we have spent Thanksgiving before in the past, and I forget and then remember, well, she is a nurse. So mm. quite often she has to work on major holidays. Right. So I don't actually know if she's working this Christmas, but I know she was working on Thanksgiving. So perhaps you're someone who who whose job doesn't let, you know, right. doesn't have vacation on on these these celebratory feast days. Or perhaps you're the one who, in order for your family or your circle of friends to have a celebration, you will have to do a yes. lot of work. <laughs> the hostess. Yes. You will have to prep that turkey or that right. ham or, or whatever it is. So, Lisa Jeff, for you, is Christmas Day, is there work for you to do? Yeah, I I think so. I think for me, it's really the lead up to it. So what I yeah. find really stressful is in these early weeks of Christmas, for example, some people really enjoy buying Christmas gifts. I enjoy it, but it's very stressful at the same time because I wonder, did I get the right thing? And you're shopping and trying to look at sales and then you're often many years worried about the budget yes, and how much money yeah. you're spending on Christmas presents or how much money it's going to cost you to have X number of people over. Mm-hmm. And I find it a pretty high level of anxiety heading into that Christmas season 
But by the time I arrive on Christmas Day, to me, at that point, it's a relief. It's done. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because not only is there Christmas present buying, but then there are all the Christmas concerts. And of mm-hmm. course, you don't just show up and enjoy that, right? I mean, my daughter started rehearsals for our Christmas concert back before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. every Sunday after church. Wow. So that becomes an additional thing, right? I have to pack her a little lunch and she's delighted and she stays, but it means I have to go back and forth, back and forth, pick her up, have to help with the costumes. Mm-hmm. We have to be at the dress rehearsal. Like you talk about being a grad student, our kids will all have finals this month still. And so there's the end of sports championship seasons for basketball. And it seems like it all becomes this crushing crucible in December, but I'm <laughs> supposed to be experiencing the joy of the Lord, you know, and I have my own work deadlines. I've had in the past book deadlines that fell at this time of year. Ooh. So you're there you are supposed to be celebrating your family and Jesus, and instead you're ignoring them so you can write <laughs> books about Jesus. You know, it's, it is a very strange trade-off because... I think our commercial perspective of Christmas, if you just look at Hallmark, everybody just magically spends hours and days sitting around having meaningful concerts and tree lightings and Mm -hmm. gingerbread cookie competitions. And I think to myself, don't they have day jobs? What are these people doing? (laughs) Like, How do they pay their bills? Who bought those groceries? Right. (laughs) And I think that's just a large part of the rhythm of what we do in our ordinary lives, we still have to do work. And we want to recognize those of you who are trying to figure out the tension of balancing those, because I don't think there is any, as always, there's never a perfect equation that will help Mm. you figure out how to walk through this season. But maybe just in having the eyes to see Mm. and not to expect from yourself that you would be skipping and that it would be super Mm -hmm. easy, but to give yourself grace to know, wait a minute, this month I'm actually adding to my my usual workload. Mm. I'm adding additional things. And so how do I figure out a way to know what to say no to, when to ask for help, when to (laughs) tell the kids, you know, set their expectations so they know what to expect Mm -hmm. out of this month. And I'll tell you, one of the things that reduced our stress level significantly was to do with Christmas presents for our children. So our kids, as with all children, I think, suffer from what I call the gimmies, gimme, gimme, (laughs) gimme during this season, right? And it drives me insane when they see any commercials or even the newspaper ads around the Black Friday sales. When they've looked at all of that, then they suddenly have all these new and wonderful things they didn't even know existed before. Now they must have them. And I have also found that often on Christmas Day, what I can't stand is when you've really planned hard for presents and then your kids are disappointed Mm -hmm. or they wanted something different or it makes me crazy. So several years back, maybe four years ago now, we took all the guesswork out of Christmas presents and our children, it's going to shock some people, they pick their own presents and I buy them on Amazon and I show it to them. Usually even, I mean, we do this, we've done this now back before Thanksgiving Mm. because- I can tell them then when they keep coming to me with what their wants and gimmies are. No, no. Remember, we bought your presents. You already know what you're getting and it will arrive in time for Christmas. And it has taken a lot of the stress. One of my kids has a high anxiety wondering if he'll get the thing he wanted so Mm. badly and will ask a million times, but did you get this? But did you get this? And so I'm able to, he gets to see it. We pick it. He chooses the color he wants. We are very clear with them about sort of the range, like maybe it's three presents and the price total price range is this. 
and we're not going to go above it. And then there aren't surprises. Now, I know that will horrify some parents who love surprises. And that's if that's what works for you, that's great. I'm just saying, for us, it removed a big layer of stress. Mm-hmm. It helped me because I don't like going to malls. I don't want to go shop for your present over there. <laughs> I want to go on Amazon and have it arrive at my house. And all I have to do is wrap it. I want to have my children know it's done. Stop asking me for presents. It's taken care of. It's finished. And it gives them a sense of not having to anticipate disappointment, which is what one of my kids does. I think he has anxiety about Mm. whether it will live up to his expectations because expectations are tricky things for Mm -hmm. adults and kids alike. And a lot of what we try and do in December is manage expectations. And so if you have work commitments, so in the past when I've had big deadlines, I loop my kids into that. They know, right? I'm going to have this and this and this, and then I'll be done by this date. But um, life doesn't stop chugging along just because we're in December. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I have learned just a little bit about work and, and maybe having a different perspective on work because of where I live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live in Pennsylvania. And so we live surrounded by Amish and Mennonite communities. Mm-hmm. And I ha- have never lived in proximity to those communities before, but for these six years I have. And uh, these are religious communities that take work very seriously. Work is a very high value for them. And to put it in my own words, (laughs) what I observe is that they really view work as an act of worship. Mm. And it's, um, you know, just a part of how they relate to God and to one another and their community. And I can even notice sometimes just out driving, um, you know, of course, I'll see members of those communities hard at work and even their children hard at work. But what I have also noticed is that, and perhaps I think it's because they do work so hard and so well, they are also very good at not working, (laughs) at resting, (laughs) at celebrating. So I'll never forget uh, here I'm going to shift us from thinking Christmassy thoughts to Easter season just for a minute because I remember one Easter when my sister Kelly was visiting and she's a great photographer and she'd been here for Easter and now it was Easter Monday, the day after Easter Sunday. And I said, Kelly, let's go for a drive just through Amish country close by and you can take pictures and it's such beautiful countryside. And so she was excited to do that. So we got in the car, we're going for a drive and it was like we were caught in a parade <laughs> of Amish buggies. Oh, Everyone really? was out. And oh, they were, wow. you could tell they were wearing their nicer bonnets mm-hmm. and um, they were calling to one another from, mm-hmm. you know, one carriage to their wagon to the next or, you know, from horse to horse. And they were smiles on everyone's faces. And there, Kelly and I were in our car just creeping being along <laughs> at a horse's pace. And we realized, of course, it's Easter Monday. This is a holiday from work for them. Mm-hmm. They And they are, they're doing it. And I remember driving past one particular little farm and little farmhouse and seeing in the front yard, the father and mother and half a dozen or so little children out playing croquet. And these are communities where normally when I drive through, I just see them hard at work and I almost feel a little guilty, like, oh, I'm Mm. out, Mm -hmm. you know, enjoying myself and look at them working so hard. And here it was, I I was observing now the other side of that, which was a real commitment to Mm, to celebration and rest and and doing it together as a family and as a community. And it was really beautiful. So it's like two sides Mm -hmm. of the same thing. We work well 
and we rest well mm-hmm. and all of it can be a kind of like praise to, right. to the one who, who made us and who also works and, and rests well. And I love uh, Kathleen Norris's reminder to to look at the rising sun and look at the setting sun and not feel that, oh no, another day, another day, mm-hmm. but to say with each, you know, each one, look here again, God loves me right. here again in the evening, God loves me and, and has given us these good gifts. And I think often about people who have those jobs, like first responders or nurses, or mm-hmm. my sister-in-law is a doctor who have to plan way ahead, you know, this year, do I get Christmas off or not? And mm-hmm. sometimes they don't. And part of what we've learned in the rhythm of our family is adjusting holiday schedules and being flexible so that it doesn't, Christmas doesn't have to be celebrated right on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. While you might do that, you know, maybe with your nuclear family, maybe when you're trying to celebrate and probably lots of folks listening have that flexible schedule of which family are we going to celebrate now? Is it the week after Christmas? Is it the week before? Last year, my in-laws came and spent the week between Christmas and New Year with us because that was the time we had available and we'd had some family crises earlier in the year and we weren't able to be together for Christmas even though we had planned that. And so I'm learning too that rest... Rest feels like rest if we give ourselves permission not to have to live up to some certain version of yeah. that holiday or rest yeah. that somebody else is living or that we've seen online, but to give ourselves permission to lean into how the rhythm of our own lives you know, follow that flow of now I'm working, maybe I'm working through Christmas, but now I have rest, right? And to constantly try to have those blinders on a little bit and not be distracted by what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. And, and that has taken me, I'm 44, it's really taken my entire life mm-hmm. to try to finally have that sink in. <laughs> because so many Christmases, so many Mother's Days, so many birthdays have been disappointing because they haven't been how somebody else's were, or how mm-hmm. I thought somebody else's looked better than mine. But giving my poor family, giving my poor family, letting them off the hook and giving them permission to be themselves and yeah. to lean into those rhythms has been a relief. It's been such a relief. I feel like I learned that lesson and experienced that even in a smaller way on a weekly basis when it comes to the rest that is Sunday or mm-hmm. Sabbath. Right. Um, a lot of us, whether it actually happens on Sunday or not, we try to take a weekly rest, a mm-hmm. weekly, you know, slow day. And I can remember for a number of years, there was this conflict in me that wanted that Sunday for us to have like a special sit down meal yes, yes. and then realizing, well, if today's really going to be about rest, I can't spend half of it preparing Cooking, this roast chicken yeah. dinner. And that actually what rest might look like for us is that on Sunday nights, we have popcorn for dinner, mm. usually with sliced apples and maybe some cheese. <laughs> right. And that's like our Sunday feast, <laughs> but it means that it really is a restful day. That. So if you take that small anecdote and, you know, apply it to those larger feast days of uh, especially like Christmas, I think it it is telling right. you that you cannot, if you really want to rest and enjoy and celebrate, you can't do it all. You can't. Right. Don't even try. Right. And I, I guess I wanted to add a final word, especially for the women that are listening who are working moms, because I know you carry in a special burden of guilt during the holiday season, especially around Christmas. It can just feel like once again, you have fallen short of what you think you're supposed to do. Nobody is as hard on you as you are on yourself is what I have learned about, about being a working mom. And 
I wanted to just paint a little different picture of when it comes to work. There are two literary references I wanted to offer you. First, of course, is the infamous Proverbs 31 woman who has been used by so many different folks over the years. And I often wonder, you know, what Christ's thought is on how we interpret or misinterpret that passage. But one of the things that helped me so much during my years of working out of the house, especially when I had to drop kids off at daycare and we'd have to get up really, really early. But there is a line in Proverbs 31 where it says, she rises while it is still dark to provide for her family. Mm. And I just think when you are doing that, when you're getting up early, no matter what that providing is looking like, you are a woman of courage. Mm-hmm. You're a Proverbs 31 woman. You are providing for your family, which is such a courageous act to do, especially in the holiday season. You are providing that holiday for them. And I just want you to hear those words of affirmation as you walk into the Christmas season, that the work you're doing isn't detracting from how you mother your family, but it is a gift that you are giving them. And then my second reference is the most obscure story by Tolkien that I had never heard of until last year a friend mentioned it to me. And of course, Christie's read it because she, <laughs> my literary friend, had heard of it. But it is the most interesting little short story. It was written by Tolkien in 1938, and it is called, it's the weirdest title, Leaf by Niggle. N-I-G-G-L-E. Niggle. It's memorable. (laughs) It's a very memorable name. This curious little fellow. His name is Niggle. And he's a painter. And his work is to paint. And he is painting this beautiful painting of a leaf. That's why it's called Leaf by Niggle. (laughs) And um, the spoiler alert of this story is that he spends his whole life painting this painting that he always feels like he's behind on. It is unfinished. It's incomplete. He's constantly interrupted and he's worried the work isn't good enough and he's not a good enough artist and he's not able to devote as much time as he needs to. And he always falls short, I feel like, which is the constant narrative I have in my own head about any work I'm trying to accomplish. I constantly feel that way. Or I feel guilty because I'm spending too much time on that project, which he feels too. That tug and pull, right, of work that we have to do as well as work that we want to do. Well, Niggle passes away, and we see him next. We meet him in heaven. And here's the part that blew my mind. He arrives in this place in heaven where the the work he was doing, the leaf he was painting, this giant canvas that was as large as the side of a house, he arrives in this garden, and there is the tree with the leaves that he had painted. And it is a real, living, breathing being that he has painted into an existence. And the parallel that they're trying to give us is that the work we do here on earth isn't something we're just trying to escape from one day into heaven where we just, I don't know, sit on our angel clouds and do nothing. (laughs) No, no, it's a narrative of how work is meaningful. And the work we do here actually has consequences and construct and design and welcome and beauty in heaven one day. How crazy is that idea that the work we set in motion here might actually be constructing something in the kingdom to come? And I don't know if it will look exactly like that, but man, I sure love the metaphor that Tolkien is giving us, that we can anticipate that the work you do here isn't taking away from who you are in Christ, but instead might in some way be building a part of the kingdom to come. 
And I just hope you can hold on to that as you walk through December, that you won't resent the work, that you won't feel guilty about the work, that you will recognize that the work itself is significant, not just for the paycheck it gives us, but because we're doing something that God instituted and that might outlive us in mm. some capacity. So I <laughs> I wanted to share that encouragement today as I love that that picture that Christy shared in the beginning of that funeral procession, how meaningful that life had been because of the work that she offered to the world who was left behind, but perhaps in some capacity to the world to come too. 